Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. And the Bible says, you are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and in your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you want to be a blessing, just say amen. Today, we're just going to discuss a family affair. Let's pray, everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you do what only you can do among these people that you have created. God, if it is your desire that I am the person to be able to do this with them, God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross of your son, Jesus. God, that you would seal my lips, cover me in his blood, allow your spirit to speak in this place among your people at this time is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say amen. amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are talking about families on today. And there we go. Uh, <laughs> Spaces message for real love. Yay. Um, but it, it starts in the garden. Um, before sin, before expulsion, before Sabbath, God established the family. It started with man and woman, Adam and Eve, husband and wife. Then sin entered in and the family ideal was lost to us. But it wasn't really lost. It just was harder to keep the ideal. And things changed over time. We have this uh, term that we like to use called the nuclear family. Anybody ever heard that term, the nuclear family? And whenever we, you can go to the next slide, whenever you hear that term, I immediately thought of where did the nuclear family idea come from? And Merriam-Webster dates the term back to 1947, um, but the Oxford English Dictionary rather has a reference to the term from 1925. Thus, this idea of the nuclear family is relatively new. Although nuclear family structures themselves date back thousands of years, the term nuclear is used in its general meaning, referring to a central entity or nucleus around which others collect. In its most common usage, the term nuclear family refers to a household consisting of a father, a mother, and their children, all in one household dwelling. George Murdoch, you can go to the next one. Yes, the family, George Murdoch says this, the family is a social group characterized by common residence, economic cooperation, and reproduction. It contains adults of both sexes. At least two of them maintain a socially approved sexually, sexual rather relationship and one or more children own or adopted of the sexually cohabiting adults. Now, we live in a world where that term has been expanded a little bit. We have people who call themselves family, and most of us um, as individuals, you can go to the next slide, I believe this, yeah, most of us will be a part of two nuclear families, the one that we're born into and the one that we create. We're all born into a family, 
But then there's the family that we create. And this creation can come two ways. It's the creation that we would go could be uh, uh, naturally at some point you are going to grow up. Uh, most of you look like grown-ups here. Uh, you get married or go into a covenantal relationship with someone else. And then you will have children. You may adopt them. You may go in vitro in the world in which we live. We, you, there, you might go surrogacy. There are these other ways to have children today. And it's not the way that people in the 50s, 20s, 1800s, they never thought about this. But that's where we are in the world today. We have this expanded view of what family can be. But just because the view has expanded, it has not changed the power of the family and the responsibility of all of us who are in families. Next slide. Because your family has the potential within it to power a community or to blow it up. Your family has the potential within it to power a community or to blow it up. When we consider what we ought to be doing and what we are a part of, uh, to the point of powering, when a family is succeeding in working with God's mission, mind you, this does not mean that your family is perfect. I gotta make sure I put that in. None of us have perfect families. Amen, everybody. We all got families that got stuff in them all kind of stuff. We got adulterous stuff. We got abusive stuff. We got messy stuff. And we on Sabbaths or on the weekend at our worship spaces, we dress all of our stuff up. And we come in here and we talk about your love is running after me. It does not mean that your family is perfect. What it does mean, however, is that the power in your family can potentially make things better for others or make things worse for everybody. And the unfortunate thing when it comes, I'm not even, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, I'm sorry. The, the Bible is filled with families that were not perfect, but somehow found themselves in God's favor. Your family does not have to be perfect in order for your, your family to receive God's favor. There's a phrase I love to hear from people. Or I, my wife says it all the time, and I'm going to adopt it because to, to, I'm in front of you all. So I'm going to say, this is my phrase. <laughs> the phrase is, favor ain't fair. Somebody say that. Oh, it doesn't sound like y'all understood it yet. Say, favor ain't fair. Because we live in a world where people are always talking about we want to be fair. But favor is not fair. God determines where his favor rests. And we can go throughout the, the sacred scriptures and see people who received God's favor. And if we based it on how we see how their lives went, we would not think it was fair. Is that, does that make sense? Are y'all still with me? All right. We can, we, we, well, I'm jumping over my notes now. Okay. It is because of God's grace that you are able to have whatever it is you have. Whatever it is you're able to experience. While you think 
you live or have a jacked up situation, there is someone somewhere who would gladly change places with you. Who mixed it? They missed it. You want me to say it again? That's what you said? They missed it. See, you got the thing on your lips. It threw me off. Okay. There is someone somewhere who would gladly change places with you. It is because we tend to talk about things in terms of what we lack. We always, we always, because I don't know y'all that good. But the the human condition has us referring to our lives based on what we don't have versus living a life improved or uh, augmented by constantly being reminded of what you do have. Um, You you can consider this um, thinking about your life in terms of gratefulness. Last year, I did a series on gratefulness at my church, and we talked about that being grateful will literally change everything around you. That when we are grateful, we are able to see God move in our lives uh, rather than being uh, uh, constantly lamenting what we do not have. I would challenge you to start talking about your sir, your, yourself in terms of the things that you have. First thing, I'm, I have stuff written down here, but what's something you have? Somebody yell it out. What's something you have? You have what? You got, somebody said what? Home. You have a home. Praise God. What's something else you have? You have love. Amen. Praise God. What's something else you have? Food. Amen. Where you live? <laughs> Coming by there this afternoon. Amen. Uh, what, what, what's something else you have? Something you have. Kids. Amen. Somebody out here looking at, they're grateful for the kids. Praise God. I'm still working on being grateful but for, for the kids, but that's all right. What's something else you have? Somebody said what? God's love. Amen. Somebody over here said something transportation. All right. Now, here, here's the thing. In, in the churches in which I grew up, we would begin, we would say, uh, I am thankful for blood running warm in my veins. Amen, somebody. So you say, you, you're grateful because you have life, even if it is not the life you thought you would have. I need somebody to start thinking about this thing. We tend to think about what we don't have, and we are not grateful for what we do have. I'm getting to family in a second, but we, we got to start thinking through some of our issues. You have your family, you have your church, you have your friends, you have opportunities. How many people here, your family moved to the area that you're in right now just for a better opportunity? Anybody here, your family moved just because they wanted another opportunity at uh, uh, whether it was a job, education, amen, I see you, brother, thank you. We, we have these things and we have God. There, there's a quote from um, E-Dub, Auntie Ellen, uh, Ellen White, for those of you who know she is. Go to the next slide. Um, this was it. It says, our families exert a far-reaching influence for good. 
Other families will mark the results attained by such a home and will follow the examples set in their turn guarding the home against satanic influences. One well-ordered, disciplined, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. Amen, somebody. The best test of the Christianity of a home is the type of character begotten by its influence. Actions speak louder than the most positive profession of godliness. I'm wondering, is there anybody in here that you've, you've lived long enough to see someone talk about God but not live by God? You've heard someone talk the gospel but not live the gospel. And what does that do when we see it? It immediately puts a block in our heads. For some of us, I would dare say most of us go, I'm not going to be like that person. Or I give up on all this crap. Oh, I mean stuff. <laughs> stuff. And at some point, <laughs> pray for me. <laughs> we trying. We trying here. Okay. So the... So in the same way that God, that the family is fulfilling God's mission that can power a community or a church, a family that is not unified in the mission of God can potentially blow up a community or a church. What's worse is that even after the event, whether the blow up is one of a one-time thing or a pattern of doing things, the fallout that remains will ultimately be radioactive. See David, the king. Y'all remember King David? We learned about him in Samuel and Second Samuel that you know this dude was anointed twice, blessed and gifted. Yet he couldn't manage his family. He had a bunch of wives. He did not see his responsibility as a father and a husband appropriately. Therefore, the sin that pervaded his family, he never dealt with. And because he didn't deal with it, it just stuff got worse with progressive generations. Yet, we are told in the same Bible that you have that it was from the seed of David that the Savior would come. A lot of us feel stigmatized by the madness in our families the foolishness that's in our families. For those of you who um, might have learned at some point that so-and-so wasn't really your, your cousin, it's your brother. You, did, you didn't know that your mom or your dad wasn't the first one who was there. There was somebody before. And there are these stories that marinate in the histories and the DNA of our families that we don't talk about. Like, we don't talk about Bruno. All of our families have these things, and they have within them the potential to power us because then we can lean into what God did despite what happened. What God allowed to take place put us in a position to be able to bless others, or we can go into that cycle of self-pity. Man, we ain't never gonna. Very um, real quick and aside, I used to watch this show when I was a kid growing up. It was called Good Times. 
Ain't we lucky we got them. Good times. And on this show, Good Times, at the end of every season, no matter what the family had been going through, they would get the opportunity to be able to level up, if you will, to get out of the housing projects. And at the very end of every season, when they thought they were going to get out, something ultimately would always happen. And the following year, they'd be right back in the projects. And we laughed and we giggled about it, but it, there was a societal message being taught. If this is the place you are in, you're never getting out. Really, on a, a, a quick aside, everything you watch, this, I, I'm a youth pastor at heart, and I always do this. For your young people, this is something you want to teach your kids all the time. Everything you watch and everything you read is trying to teach you something. This is what, something you need to do in your family. Everything you watch and everything you read is trying to teach you something. Your job is to know what are they trying to teach me and what does God have to say about it? You hear me? That is your responsibility. That's a familial responsibility. Now, we at the church are going to support you. are supposed to support you in that moving forward. But that was an aside, a commercial. I'm sorry. I need to get on to the next thing. We got challenges in our families. Challenges in our families. There's a story told of two paddle boats. They left Memphis about the same time traveling down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. As they traveled side by side, sailors from one vessel made a few remarks about the snail's pace of the other. I, I, I don't even want to do this, but it's just like it, it even has a, 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 a an idea of how men act. They're all supposed to be going in the same place. They're moving at the same direction. But all of a sudden, guys start talking to each other. Now it becomes a competition. And this is actually what happens with these two paddle boats. There becomes a competition. A challenge begins. Challenges are made. And the race begins. Competition becomes vicious between the two boats roaring through the deep south. As one boat begins falling behind, they don't have enough fuel. There had been plenty of coal for the trip, but when they decided that we want a race, that changes everything. They didn't have enough for a race. So as the boat begins to drop back, an enterprising young sailor took some of the ship's cargo and tossed it into the ovens. When the sailors saw that the supplies burned as well as the coal, they fueled their boat with the material they had assigned, been assigned to transport. They ended up winning the race, but they burned all the cargo. In each and every one of our families, we have been entrusted with precious cargo. Our children, our spouses, our friends who are like family that come around, they always walking into your house eating your stuff. Our job is to do our part in seeing that the cargo reaches its destination. We should not be giving up our kids or giving up our marriages or giving up our relationships in our families in order to achieve something at the very end. Because how many know it is not worth the achievement if your family is not there with you? 
When our priority to program takes precedent over people, the people are in peril. How much cargo do we sacrifice in order to achieve the number one slot? How many people never reach their destination because of the aggressiveness of a competitive captain? It is impossible for any of us to live in such a way that we shall not cast an influence in the world. Your influence will be felt. All of us are going to be a part of something in our Opportunity is that it will be to either power us or to make things negative. Okay, I, I skipped over something. Go to the next one. I was supposed to say the, the negative side, that the influence of an ill-regulated family is widespread and disastrous to all society. It accumulates in a tide of evil that affects families, communities, and governments. I'm sorry, I was supposed to say that earlier, but uh, y'all okay. Y'all got them good minds. Y'all can follow along. It is time for all of us as Christians, God followers, disciples, servants of the Most High, Adventists, if you will, all of us have an opportunity to reiterate the divine pattern. Our marriages and families should demonstrate a way of living that is rewarding, meaningful, and fulfilling. And that divine pattern should be evident to the world as it looks at Christian marriages and families. Unfortunately, the world's problem of divorce has also become the problem of the church. But God has a divine standard that can make marriage and the family what they ought to be. Now, for you and I, whatever family we are coming out of, we have this discussion at my house frequently, especially because our tendency, because we are always holding up the ideal of uh, what God ordained or what God calls to, to be in covenant relationship between uh, men and women, we struggle when it comes to what we see in the world today as many are uh, engaged in same gender families or same gender relationships. Now, I am not going to get up here and yell at someone because of however it is that God has made them or because of the trauma of their history that places them in a situation that is not normative for everyone else. What we are supposed to do as a church is be a place that is welcoming to all. So this, not, this place shouldn't be one of condemnation. God has presented the ideal, and we will not diminish that. But however you find yourself in this world, there should not be a, 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 um, a stop sign at our door because you have not met the standard. Because all of us haven't met the standard. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that right? Am I talking to Bible people here? If then if all of us have sinned and come short of the God of short of the glory of God, how dare you hold back Jesus because someone is not doing something normative? But that again is another aside. I apologize. I'm gonna to try to get on this thing. We're gonna go into what does it take 
for us to have family togetherness. There's a, a, a profile of a strong family that we find from the Human Development and Family Department at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And these are the keys to developing family togetherness, regardless of what your family looks like. Are you still with me? All right, first thing you wanna do is to write a family mission statement. Write a family mission statement. And most of you already have a mission statement for your family, but you never wrote it down. You might uh, have something that relates to what your family represents or what your family is going to be about. And my family, when my wife and I, before we ever had kids and when we had gone through a couple of things in our marriage, when stuff had been rough for us, you know, when you starting out, you know, uh, for those of you who haven't been married yet or you've been married for, rather, I'm going, if you've been married for a while, you know, those first couple of weeks right after your wedding, when you still just opening gifts and you still got leftover money from all the stuff people gave you. Them is some good days. But right about at the year mark, when all that extra money you had ain't there no more, all of the appliances and things are starting to look a little worn and weary, and uh, that, that new marriage luster starts to, to get a little, fade a little bit. It gets rough. And we don't talk about those times. Unless you might have somebody at the crib. You don't really, we don't really talk about it a whole lot. We don't tell people that it's going to get tough. That some days you're not going to want to look at your husband and not look at your wife. You're, you're supposed to have prepared for it when uh, you went to marriage counseling if you did that. But like most of us, like everybody, when you get something new. I used to work for the uh, cell phone, cellular phone company. I worked in customer service and one of the sales things and when I was working for them, this is before we had the smartphones and stuff. It was just having a flip phone, a StarTac. That was the, the hot phone at the time. One of the tactics they used to do, the sales tactic, when you sat down in front of the salesperson who's about to sell you the cell phone and they do this when they're about to sell you a car or even when they're trying to sell you a house, they put the phone in your hand when they're about to tell you about the contract. Because when they put the phone in your hand, you look at the phone, ooh, new phone, look at that. Look at what it can do, it's amazing. And they're telling you, we're gonna charge you $875 every month. Uh, we're gonna take your first child. And you're like, wow, look at this phone, see this phone? They do that on purpose because you don't hear what they're telling you. And when you're in marriage counseling and they're telling you about all the uh, stuff that could go wrong, you're have holding hands with your hubby or with your future wife and you're looking at each other all googly-eyed, you're thinking about that wedding night. Hey. It's not that they didn't tell you, we just didn't hear it. And we don't talk about it anymore after the fact until you are about to walk away from each other. So writing a family mission statement helps you to focus. What's the direction we want to send our, have our family in? Our family mission statement actually is biblical. It comes from Matthew 6 and 33, and it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Why did we go with that? We went with that because we had a period in our life when we had lost children, 
we had uh, almost lost, we did lose, almost lost our home. We were in foreclosure. We had money stolen from us. We were at the bottom, if you will, in a place where I didn't know, as the quote-unquote head of the home, I didn't know how anything was going to work out. And I came to my wife, my, my wife and I sat down together, and I said, listen, I don't know how this is going to work out. But if God is God, then we have got to go to him and see how this thing works out. So out of our mess came the message Matthew 6 and 33, if we seek God first, whatever it is that we would need would come our way. Whatever it is that God would desire for us, that's ours. I don't know what yours is, but whatever your family situation is, you already lean into a way, whether it's we don't do these sorts of things in our home. You know, there are statements you make to your children. When my son was growing up, as he still is growing up, um, there are things he always wants to go somewhere and go hang out with his friends. And before I let him go, I say, listen, your last name is Brooks. And be whatever you do reflects on us. And I don't want whatever you do to be a bad reflection on the family you come from because that's not us. You hear me? Yes, dude. So when you write your family mission statement, it is not just for the two of you, but it is for you and everyone else who lives in your house, what do, what do we go by? You can go to the next one. I lose my page. Where am I doing? Okay, there we go. Next thing, appreciation. Affirmation versus condemnation. And this is for building a strong family. If you are a family of uh, ethnic origin, meaning your family ain't from, uh, is not, uh, your family of origin does not reside from these United States. Whether you're first or second generation, you can trace your family back to an island or uh, uh, another place, a different continent. You already know, for many of us growing up, because of the way our parents grew up, their tendency, rather than to affirm, is to condemn. It is not that they want to break you down, but that's all they know because their thought process is you need to be made strong enough to deal with whatever is going on in this world. Now, how many of you know if, if that has been your growing up that that didn't really help you? All it did is make you second guess everything you've ever done in your life. It made you uncomfortable with having to be in front of people. You have this way of feeling like, well, ah, uh, you, 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 you can't speak up when you're supposed to. You had to be taught that. But your family should have been where you got it taught. We, we, we do ourselves a disservice when we spend more time condemning the folk in our family, whether it's husband to wife, parents to kids, grandparents to grandchildren, siblings, we don't do ourselves any favors as a family if we spend more time condemning each other rather than affirming. So if you want to be a part of a strong family, we'll not just write a mission statement, but you also got to start talking about speaking well of the family, speaking well of the people who are in your house. A strong family, third thing, also has the ability to deal with crisis in a positive manner. This is a tough one for a lot of us because we were never taught how to deal with crisis. 
No one ever told you that you should sit down and talk to the weigh pros and cons. Talk calmly to one another. That, that's not what we do. We actually do a lot of what was in number two. We start blaming people. This is your fault. If you didn't do, well, it's not my fault. Well, if you had, and nah, this is a crisis in our family. All of us are affected, whether it's a crisis with your kids, crisis with the spouse, crisis with the job. We're going to sit down and talk about it together in order for us to be able to get through a lot of the things. I'm, I'm going to tell you a crisis we had, and this was our, our foreclosure crisis way back in the year 2000. Actually, it was the year 1999 when my wife and I were married. We were about married, uh, we were married about three years at that time. And what I, my tendency was to do was we would receive money, we'd get paid, I would pay all of the bills except the mortgage. One month. Then the following month, I would pay the mortgage and let everything else lapse a little bit. Because we were supposed to be receiving a, a certain amount of money, but for whatever reason, we weren't receiving what we had planned to receive. Well, that Strategy worked for maybe four months, but by the time we got to December of 1999, I got something in the, letters, in, the, in the mail that said we were in foreclosure. I didn't know what that meant because I had mailed the mortgage payment, and they mailed it back to me. Now, we had already had a plan to be out of the country at the end of the month, and it wasn't because of Y2K. We actually were, <laughs> for anybody who's old enough to remember that. It wasn't because of Y2K, but we had, my wife was in a singing group and I managed a group and we were going abroad to sing for a church for New Year's. So it was one of those things, I didn't mention that, I said, oh, we'll take care of it when we get back. We get back, I get the money back, I try calling the mortgage company, mortgage company says, no, you gotta go through this process in order to get back into your home and now I gotta pay more money than what I had. So uh, I go through this thing, this man, uh, reaches out to me and lets me know he can help me get back into my mortgage. Long story short, he asked me for $7,000. I cleared out my savings, gave him the $7,000, and never heard from him again. And I have not said anything to my wife yet. So we went into foreclosure in December of 1999. By March of 2000, I'm driving up and down Jamaica, New York, trying to find this dude's office, realizing for the first time I had never met him in an office. He had always come to my house. It took me another month before I said anything to my wife. And we prayed about it, we cried, but then we were like, well, what do we do? I don't know because no one's ever talked to us about this stuff. So we're just gonna keep trying to figure this thing out and save money. It wasn't until November of that same year, my house is in foreclosure. It wasn't until November that I actually talked to my mother about it. And she did something that I was not excited about. She said uh, she could tell something was wrong because she says I was acting like my father when certain things happened. That wasn't an ideal statement, and that's a whole different thing to talk about family at another time. We're not going to do this because it's online, and my dad likes to watch when I'm on. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. But we ultimately, this is 2000, it's not until 2001 
that we actually speak to somebody about it. And later on in that year, by August of 2001, we are out of foreclosure. We actually are still in the house. We were never kicked out. When I say you lean in on God, he will take care of you. I don't know anybody else who's ever had that situation. Over a year and a half in foreclosure. But if you know the story of Samson, when Samson was in the jail and he had been blinded, one of the things that happened to him is while he was in the jail and his head had been shaved, his hair started to grow back. And with us, because of the way our situation was, we were able to save because in that entire time, we weren't paying a mortgage. We were just paying our bills. So our credit was getting better. Anybody know about 401k? If you got a job, you still put money in that thing. It's, it's building back up. Yeah, it's taken a whole lot out, but in that year and a half, and we both received raises in that time, all of that. But ultimately, we get to get back in. All of that to say, got to be able to deal with crisis in a positive manner. <laughs> it's when you are able to sit down and talk with your spouse with the people in your house. I want to keep talking. I keep leaning into husband, wife, but some of y'all families are a whole lot different. If it's just a single mother, single father, who are you talking to? There's somebody that you talk to. So it might be a parent. It might be a sibling. So when I'm talking about your family, you got to know who are those people that I lean into, that I lean on in this situation. But strong families do another thing. They take time or they spend time together. Families that spend time together in all areas of their lives, um, meals, work, recreation, they instructed their schedules to spend time together. One of the things that we like to do and, oh, that's the song. I'm seeing it back here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just go to number four. Oh, y'all working it out. It'll be okay. Time together in all areas of their lives. I read that. But we learn how to do that. For, to have a strong family, schedule that stuff. Whether it's on your Sundays, maybe you wait till the summertime because of the kids or spring break, but make sure you schedule time together. One of the greatest things that we learned how to do at our house is have a meal together every day. It was never breakfast because everybody wakes up at a different time, but we were able to do dinner when our kids were a lot, a lot littler, I have a 14 and a 16 year old now, it's a lot harder to get everybody to have dinner at the same time. But if you schedule that, the, if we don't do it all week, we know on Friday we're having a meal together. That's when we're preparing for Sabbath. And we have our own Sabbath tradition and I'm guessing that all of you here have one as well. And if you, have, if you don't have one, it is not too late to begin one, but take time together. Number five, we have a high degree of commitment. Families promoted each other's, each person's happiness and welfare, and they invested time and energy in each other and made family number one priority. It's like uh, that, uh, that line from the Fast and Furious series that Vin Diesel always likes to say, it's all about family. Whatever you're doing, it's always about supporting your family. And barring breaking the law, because <laughs> Fast and Furious, all they do is break the law. Barring breaking the law, we should be upholding our families in the best ways we can. Number six, good communication patterns. These families spent time talking with each other. They also listened well, which shows respect. That's the hardest one. 
for us in our house. Um, my wife is a natural extrovert and she talks a lot and she's always talked a lot. I know my wife for over 30 years. So I know I'm not gonna get in trouble for this part that she talks a lot. I am an extrovert when I have to be. Right now I'm extrovert guy, it's, that's me. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm gonna do because I'm standing in front because this is work, I'm on, this is what I gotta do. But if you show up at my house, I'm introvert. I don't wanna talk to you because you're at my house. I'm not at work, it's not my job right now. So I'm gonna either be watching TV or reading a book. And say what? Am, oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, 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 I, thank you. I never knew that, I just learned something, yeah. Okay, we're gonna come back to that. Because, yes, that makes sense, because I'm like 51, 49, depending. It, literally, I've done this my entire life. It's always that. Anyway, where are we? That just got so cool that you did that for me. All right, so we have to um, uh, have good communication patterns. What I was saying about uh, my wife always talks, and why, why this is difficult is because my wife talks a whole lot. She's not always the best at listening to what's happening. And we have, we're, we've got a 50-50 split in our house. Two of us are more introvert. Well, I am more introverted at times than extroverted. My daughter is an introvert. There's no, there's no extrovert in her. We have to train it. My son, extrovert. He wants to be wherever the action is. My wife, extrovert. Always wanting to make that thing happen. So when we have our meal time, and we want to be talking and, and, and hearing. We're not always uh, listening. So I'm always, uh, <laughs> I, I tend to be a little rougher with my son. So he, has, uh, he, he loves to be snarking. Unfortunately, he gets that from me. So I recognize it. I see him doing it. And I'm like, no, be a better listener. And he's like, I missed something? I, I don't know. And I'm like, you're not going to be pretty all your life. You need to pay attention and listen. The, the, the challenge oftentimes is to be able to listen and hear what people are saying. And one of the things that I used to teach a, a lot was uh, ask one more question. In our families, uh, as parents, we just wanna feel like our kids are okay. But there's stuff that we are fearful of in the lives of our kids because we know what we went through. And we want to know, but we kind of really don't want to know. So we ask the general question, how was your day? And your kids will tell you, fine. And as a parent, you go, I feel a lot better. They had a good day. I don't have to say anything more. But then in the back of your mind, you're going, I should ask one more question. So when I get, take my kids home and we were doing this every day, I would say, how was the day? And they'd be fine. It was good. Then the next question was, what made it fine or what made it good? Then I get a little bit more of the story. My son now is a teenager. He's always got one headphone in his ear. So I have to ask it again. Hey, what made it fine? What made it good? Oh, oh okay. We got to work through that. We're still, we're a work in progress. I got to finish. I got to finish. <laughs> Last thing, our strong families not only have good communication patterns, but the last thing is that we have a high degree of religious orientation. Worship takes place. And whether that worship is on a Sabbath, 
Oh, that worship is at home in the morning or worship is in the evening. Worship is once a week or whatever. You have a pattern of worship at your, in your home. You recognize that there is a need that we need, that we have to recognize that God has to be at the center. Hence why we have the mission statement that we have. Seek first God. Everything else will be worked out. Everything else will, will fall into place if we put God first. Listen, our text for today, the reminder is that you've been born. You come from a, a prophetic line of people who have done amazing things. You are descendants of prophets and the covenant God gave to your ancestors you are descendants of all, all, you will be blessed because you are a descendant of Abraham. There's a story that's told by this guy. What's his name? His name is Wayland Pendergrast. Wayland Pendergrast wasn't the best person in the world, but Wayland goes out one night and has a whole lot to drink. <laughs> alcohol, not water. He drank alcohol. So he leaves the bar and he's not the best kind of person. Somewhere in his mind, he decides he's going to rob somebody. Don't know why. It's just something dumb he did. So Waylon breaks into this house, sees a bunch of jewelry and stuff, and he starts snatching jewelry, snatching whatever he could find and shoving it in his pockets and wherever he can get the stuff that he's finding. And he's just amazed that there's so much of this stuff in his house, just grabbing it. Then somewhere in his brain, he's like, oh, I got to destroy where I was because they might find me. So Waylon's not thinking in his right mind, decides he's going to burn up the, 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 the living room that he was in so that he would, they can't find me if, they, if there are no fingerprints or whatever. So he goes about burning up the place. He goes out a different way than he came in. Goes out the back door, maybe a side door. Walks for a little bit and decides he's going to try to find his way home, stumbling about, feeling good about himself that he just robbed his house. <laughs> Till he turns on to his own street. And as he's turning onto his street, he's like confused. He's like, why are all these fire engines on my block? walks up and realizes his own house is on fire. Because you know what Waylon did? Waylon broke into his own house. Robbed himself. And then tried to destroy the house. And when he is being arrested, he makes this statement. I had no idea I had so many valuable things. Many of us live in, are, are in families that we don't recognize are valuable. Whether it's because of trauma of our childhoods, maybe it's the trauma of the family, but we don't see the value of what we have. Today, all I wanted to do is remind you that you come from blessed people 
that the blessing of Abraham is available for each and every one of you. And your family has the power to change generations moving forward. What you do with that power will determine whether it's for good or for evil. But I got this crazy thought that I believe that you can't help but do good because you're here today. That no matter what are the mess of your marriage and whatever the, the problems with your progeny, your kids, or how many of your siblings you sad with or mad with, that in the very end, your family will make a difference for the kingdom of God. All you have to do is remember, I got a mission. We have a mission. We can talk with one another. We support each other. We deal with crisis together. We affirm, not condemn. And we spend time in worship. Ultimately, that will make our families stronger. Ultimately, it will allow us to be able to get through the trauma of our past and make space for God to lead us going forward. Anybody want to have a family like that? Let's pray, everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love towards us. And God, we thank you for how you have created spaces for all of us to invite you in and to lead us through the challenges of this day, this world. Father, I thank you for this group of people, these families that have experienced you in ways that I don't know about. But because of what you have already done in their lives, they can lean on you for what you will do for the rest of their lives. So now, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would lead and guide, protect and direct is our prayer today in Jesus name. Let all God's people say amen. If you love the Lord today, why don't you just put your hands together? <laughs>